Well, the Mars Perseverance rover landed safely on the Red Planet on February 28th of this past year. And the mission of this research vehicle is to search for evidence of microbial life and test the Martian atmosphere for habitability. If all goes well, it would be another important step on the way to a planned manned Mars mission uh, in the 2030s. Now, the name Perseverance was chosen by NASA after a nationwide Name the Rover uh, contest. Over 28,000 essays and suggestions were submitted by K-12 students around the country, and the winning name was submitted by 7th grader Alex Rather, a student in Burke, Virginia. Alex is a, a smart kid who actually dreams of working as an engineer for NASA someday. And in Alex's essay, he suggested that all the names of the previous probes that we've sent to Mars, and there have been a few, you know, Curiosity, uh, Spirit, uh, Opportunity, Insight, uh, there's, those are all good names, but there's something missing in those names, he says. A, a key quality of what it means to be a human being. Alex explains that perseverance is what has marked the human race over the centuries. As the aspiring NASA engineer writes, we are a species of explorers and we will meet many setbacks on the way to Mars. However, we can persevere. We, not as a nation, but as human beings, will not give up. Now, Alex is right that getting to Mars is going to take perseverance. It already has. Several Mars missions have ended prematurely due to technical issues. I mean, politicians are always trying to cut the, cut the program because of its huge budget. And the, and the problems of getting human beings to, like, another planet are, are legion. But NASA, so far, has been determined. Despite the challenges, despite the setbacks, they are persevering. And we might just, crazily enough, get human beings to Mars yet. When it comes to reaching the heavens... There's only one way to get there. It's on the perseverance. If it takes perseverance to get to Mars, how much more perseverance will it take to get to heaven? How much more perseverance will it take for us to see through our failures, our obstacles, the gravity that holds us to earth to reach our heavenly destiny? Just as Alex Rather says that perseverance is a key attribute of what it means to be a human being, perseverance is also a key attribute of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. To follow Christ is to persevere. There is no other way to get to Mars. There's no other way to get to God except through perseverance. But perseverance is hard. Not all of us are going to make it to heaven. Not all of us are, have the perseverance required. Some of us are going to stay grounded. Some of us are going to crash land, and we're not going to be able to get back up. So how do we learn perseverance? How can we learn to keep going despite failures and, and budget cuts? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, persevering through the difficulties of life and faith. And I want to do that as part of a new sermon series that we're starting here this morning. It's called Wise Guy, uh, Divine Wisdom from the Book of James. After spending the summer discussing uh, the gospel, as we could discern it at least in Pixar movies, uh, we thought we'd get back to our bread and butter of studying the Bible here at Rooftop. So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to work our way through uh, this very interesting book in the New Testament. And it is a really interesting book, James is. Obviously, book of James, written by a guy named James. Uh, but there is actually a lot of James in the New Testament. We're not entirely 100% sure which James wrote the book. James is a very common name now. It was a very common name then. Any number of these James could have written the book of James. My money's on James Taylor. He was a good writer. But tradition and research suggest that James was actually written by uh, a, the half-brother of Jesus. You might not know this, but Jesus had like siblings, uh, half-brothers, half-sisters, people who shared 
uh, his mother, uh, but not through his father. You know, they had different fathers in a very significant way. They had different fathers. And one, one of his siblings is a guy named James. And the book of Acts actually tells us that this James, the half-brother of Jesus, was a, was a very important leader in the early church. Uh, James had some very strong opinions. He seemed to represent a more conservative Jewish perspective in early Christianity, and this honestly got him into some scuffles with some other apostles, uh, other apostles notably the apostle Paul. As we're going to see in his letter, James emphasizes different themes than Paul does. And James' letter is actually very different from the other letters in the Bible, too. Uh, other letters in the Bible, they're like, Dear Christians in Galatia, here's what I have to say to you in your circumstances. Or dear church in Corinth. But James isn't like that. Uh, James is more like a large collection of wisdom sayings that's being sent out to Christians everywhere. Now, when I say wisdom sayings, I mean that that's kind of what James is full of, wise teachings about how to live righteous lives. James isn't so much concerned with theology as he is righteous living. And to that end, he actually borrows a lot of Proverbs from the Old Testament uh, about righteous living. And he borrows very, very heavily from his half-brother's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount from the New Testament. And among this collection of wise teachings, James addresses a lot of different topics. He has important things to say about a lot of different topics, topics like money, about communication, about fairness, about prayer. And he also has an awful lot to say about perseverance. If the book has a theme at all, that would be it. If we were to have an essay contest to name the book, that would win. According to James, you cannot be a Christian unless you persevere. You cannot get to Mars, you cannot get to heaven except on the perseverance. So with that introduction, let me go ahead and share with you the passage from James that we're going to study together this morning. I'm actually going to share with you three passages from the book that all have to do with this solitary theme. I'm going to string these passages together. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. James chapter 1, verse 5. And then James, or verse 12. And then James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. You have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Now the author, James, starts off his letter with a very simple introduction and greeting here. He is James, a servant of God and Jesus Christ, he says. And he is writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, maybe you don't know what this is a reference to. Uh, James was Jewish from the nation of Israel. And at one point in history, Israel was composed of 12 tribes, uh, Judah, Benjamin, Zebulun, Simeon, uh, etc. And those tribes were named after the sons of Jacob, while the nation of Israel was in Egypt. Now, honestly, most of these tribes were actually destroyed over the centuries in the Old Testament. But as a Messianic Jew, James believed that God had reconstituted the nation of Israel in the Christian church. So Christians had become the new 12 tribes, the new Israel. And and while the first followers of Jesus had been gathered for a while in the city of Jerusalem, they had since been scattered. That's what James says, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. You see, a great persecution had broken out in Jerusalem and in Judea against the Christians. Jesus had actually predicted this. He had predicted that his people, his followers, would be persecuted and have to run for their lives wherever they could find a hiding spot. He predicted that, but he also said, this is going to be good for us because you're going to have the opportunity to take the gospel to every corner of the globe. But this actually gives us some context to the book of James, though. Christians faced a lot of opposition in the first century. And after fleeing persecution in Jerusalem, Christians kept running into it. Roman emperors imprisoned and harassed Christians for various reasons. Life uh, for the first Christians wasn't easy. They faced uh, death, torture, crucifixion. They faced imprisonment. Which leads to James' first bit of wisdom for the 12 tribes of Christ. What does he tell them in the very first pages of the book? Persevere. Don't give up on the faith. Persevere in the faith. Don't stop believing. Don't stop loving. Don't stop serving. Don't stop worshiping. Faith is hard, but don't give up. Not only don't give up, James writes, but consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not only don't give up, rejoice in your persecution. Why? Because having to learn perseverance is good for you. It's good for your faith. It accomplishes things in your soul essential for getting to heaven, to Mars, that wouldn't happen otherwise. Now, I'm always tempted at this point to point out that, uh, technically speaking, uh, James's words don't at least directly apply to us. I mean, for the most part, uh, we are not persecuted for our faith. I know it's not easy to be a Christian these days, uh, especially if you're like a traditional Christian like you know, me with orthodox views on sexuality and such, you know, we are called bigots for that. We are made fun of. Uh, but for the most part, for the most part, we are generally not persecuted like Christians were in the first century. We're, we're not hung on crosses. We're not imprisoned. We're not beheaded like Christians are actually being treated in like Egypt today. So James's words don't necessarily, at least not directly, apply. On the other hand, what does James say? says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Trials of many kinds. James knows 
that life is hard on multiple fronts. We don't have to be persecuted for our faith to learn perseverance. Our problems are legitimate no matter where they come from. Uh, Maybe you're not being persecuted for your faith, but maybe you have a friend in the hospital on a ventilator from COVID. Maybe you've lost a loved one during the pandemic. Maybe you're out of work. Uh, Maybe you're battling mental illness. Maybe you're fighting an alcohol or porn addiction. Those are all perfectly legitimate trials. (laughs) And whatever your trial, James's opening words to us are very simple. He says, persevere. The word persevere comes from the Greek word uh, hupomone, and it means to cheerfully persist, to endure through trials. It means to keep believing even when it's hard. It means to keep persisting at what you believe God gave you to do, even through failure. It means to not give up, and why should we not give up? It's simple, because the testing of faith In this testing of faith, perseverance is good for us. Perseverance is what is required so that we might become mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's the Holy Spirit's goal for us, maturity and completion. Now, I don't want to overwhelm you with Greek words this morning, but do it, I shall. (laughs) The Greek word for mature is a very important word, meaning teleos. That's a Greek word, teleos. Turn to your neighbor and say teleos. Some of you didn't pronounce it quite properly. It's teleos. One more time, teleos. Teleos, right. And the Greek word teleos, it can mean mature, but it actually, I prefer the translation perfect. And I prefer perfect uh, because it's a higher standard. Teleos is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. But Jesus isn't saying, be mature because God is mature. (laughs) God has higher standards for us than mature. God doesn't want us to be grown up. God wants us to be perfect, not lacking anything. That's the standard, moral and spiritual perfection. That is the only way we are going to fit in heaven. That's the only way we're going to get to Mars. That's the only way we're not going to be burned up in God's presence if we are morally and spiritually perfect. Now, it might be hard to imagine being that perfect. Can anybody imagine being morally and spiritually perfect? I cannot. I'm so far below that standard, I can't see the bar. The, The more I grow as a Christian, the more I realize I have even further to grow. How can we be possibly made perfect? I can't even conceive of Matt Herndon without sin. (laughs) As much as you dream of that, you know, you can't even conceive of that. How is this possible? Well, this is why we must find our identity in Christ, not ourselves. Uh, We will get to heaven through his perfection. And this is also why we have the Holy Spirit to aid us. But also, this is why God gives us trials. The trials of life are God's chosen means to lead us to perfection. God knows that trials can accomplish in our lives what nothing else can. Books can't make you perfect. Exercise can't make you perfect. Dietary supplements can't make you perfect. Trials can make you perfect. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and hard times. That's his agenda for you and I. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and hard times. 
This is the very purpose of trials. In fact, let me go ahead and put it this way. The purpose of our problems is to produce perfection through perseverance. That's a lot of peas there. That's a tongue twister. The purpose of our problems is to produce perfection through perseverance. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say that really fast. No, you don't have to do that. Some of you did it. Well done. This is what James is saying. The purpose of our problems, the purpose of our trials is to produce perfection through perseverance. Now, how does that happen? How exactly do trials produce perfection in our lives? Well, in in lots of ways. First, trials uh, reveal our inner character. They show us who we really are so that we can know what we're dealing with. This is what James says. He says that trials are a test, a test of our faith. Who are they a test for? Does God need us to go through trials to see what's inside of us? God doesn't need that information. God wants us to know what we're made of. So he sends us trials so we can see what tremendous failures we are. We need to know that. Trials reveal our inner character. Also, trials require us to become more than we are. In order to succeed through trials, we have to become more than we currently are. I mean, when you, when you flop in the Olympics at a time trial, what do you got to do? Got to go back, hit the pool. Go back, hit the gym. Train harder for the next time. Also, trials reduce us to dependence on God. They reveal who we are. They require us to become more than we are, and they reduce us to dependence on God. Trials bring us to the end of our rope. Trials expose our limitations. Trials bring us to our knees. Anybody who's battled alcoholism or other addictions knows this. Addictions reduce us to powerlessness. This is good for us, though. It is good to be reduced by trials to nothing. That way we are forced to depend on God for strength and hope. That's the purpose of trials. They reveal who we are. They require us to become more than we are. They reduce us to dependence on God. They lead to perfection through perseverance. Or I should say they can. They might. They can lead us to perfection through perseverance. You see, perseverance doesn't just happen. God just doesn't just give us trials and know that bada bing, bada boom, we magically grow into perfect spiritual beings. Yes, we can pass these tests. But what else sometimes happens when you take tests? You fail them. Just like it's very possible we'll never reach Mars, it's very possible you'll never reach heaven. To quote no football coach ever, (laughs) failure is always an option. (laughs) So what do we do then? What can we do to ensure that our problems produce perfection through perseverance? Well, I have three points for you this morning. As you can tell, I am relying very heavily on the, word, or the letter P this morning. Personally, I find P to be a very productive and profitable letter. <laughs> three, three points on how to ensure that our problems produce perfection through perseverance brought to you by the letter P. First, replace your perspective. Replace your perspective. Uh, James writes, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now, in one sense, James' instruction here is uh, mind-blowingly ridiculous. <laughs> Consider it pure joy when you're persecuted for your faith. Oh, yes. Lash me another time, Caesar. Uh, throw a party when your mom dies of cancer. Do cartwheels when, you're, when you fail in your struggle against alcohol. Is that what James is saying? That's weird. 
and almost inappropriate. I've performed three funerals this month. This is the last verse that I would have quoted to those families. This is good for you. Come on, turn that frown upside down. I know, that's what I'm saying. In fact, while I'm at it, uh, Christians can get a little trippy here. We are so eager to make sense of suffering that we say stupid stuff. Uh, When someone is is hurting in our lives, at least, you know, immediately, the last thing we should try to do is be positive. Uh, What does Paul say to the Romans? He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Not rejoice with those who weep. So many of us do this, though. We we try to make sense of suffering with others by saying trivial things. We're not even sure we believe. You know, they're in a better place now. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, God just wanted to bring them home with him. Bunk like that. On the other hand, isn't this what James is saying? Count it all joy that you face trials of many kinds. Well, he is saying that, but this is complicated. Life is complicated. Suffering is complicated. James is saying something here that needs to be said at the right time, in the right way, by the right person. You might not be that person. Good chance you aren't. And to be sure, it is something that many of us forget. We forget the role that trials can play in our lives. I mean, I know a lot of people who who get stuck in their sorrows, right? They get stuck in their grief. They can't get out of it. They get stuck in their pain. They get stuck in the valley, and they can't find their way out. In fact, a quick funny story. Uh, There was a Martian probe named Opportunity uh, that went offline recently. It was sent before uh, Perseverance. An opportunity experienced technical failure due to a sandstorm. Do you know where opportunity gave up the ghost? Do you know where it quit? It quit on a valley that astronomers had previously named Perseverance Valley. So the opportunity rover gave up in Perseverance Valley. Sorry, I find astronomy to be wildly ironic sometimes. I know lots of people who give up in Perseverance Valley, though. They get stuck there. I know some of you are stuck in your trials. You're stuck in your grief. You're stuck in your your battle with addiction. You're you're stuck in your average marriage. And part of the reason you're stuck is because you don't see the point anymore. You're just going to fail. It's just going to fall apart. You tell yourself, well, yeah, with that attitude. But by giving up, you're also giving up on the important things that God wants to do in and through, through your struggle. God wants to make you perfect through this struggle. God wants to reveal himself to you through this struggle. But you got to keep going you got to see the miraculous things that God wants to do in you if you keep going. As Paul writes to the Romans, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. Character, hope. On this point, Paul and James agree. Replace your perspective. The worst thing that could ever happen to you might just become your source of perseverance, character, hope. Replace your perspective. Second, persist like the prophets. In the third passage I read to you from chapter five, uh, James actually gives us three examples of people who patiently persevered through their problems unto perfection. He mentions farmers. 
who have to wait through rainy seasons uh, to get to the crops. He mentions Job, the Old Testament hero whose life is absolutely destroyed by Satan, but who barely doesn't give up on God and is rewarded in the end. And then thirdly, he mentions the prophets. As he says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Now, I mentioned to you earlier that James borrows very heavily from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in his letter in the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll find that a lot in this book. James says a lot of stuff that, that Jesus says. Remember that James was Jesus' brother. And I actually like to, to imagine that when James and Jesus were kids, James was always like secretly leading, reading Jesus', Jesus little diary, and, you know, picking up some ideas. I'm like, oh, that's good. That's, write that, copy that off, take a, little, take a little picture of that, and keep it away for later. And sure enough, Jesus says something like this about the prophets being blessed. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for in the same way, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. The prophets were blessed because they were persecuted. What prophets? Well, prophets like Jeremiah who was thrown to the bottom of a cistern. Prophets like Elijah, who was chased across the desert. Uh, prophets like Daniel, who was thrown in with the lions because he stood up to the king. These are the prophets from the Old Testament. They spoke the word of God to people, and they were soundly rejected for it. They were persecuted, they were imprisoned, they were even killed. James and Jesus called them blessed. How? How can these people possibly be blessed? They're dead. Well, they're blessed because they will be rewarded. They were faithful to the end, and they will be rewarded for that. The lesson from the prophets for us is that we must persist like they did if we want to be rewarded like they will be. When things got tough for the prophets, the prophets got tougher. Uh, When people opposed them, the prophets arose. When people stood up against, the prophets stood tall. Basically, the prophets kept doing what they were called to do no matter what, and it was to their glory. Now, we might not be called as prophets. We might not have to stand up to kings and governors, but we're called to do something important things, and we got to persist. Persist like the prophets, no matter how hard it is. Usually, we are called to do much smaller things than the prophets were called to do. These things can still be hard, though, and we must persist because these things are important. Some of you have lost loved ones, for example. In fact, all of us have lost loved ones. It can be hard after losing a loved one, just getting up in the morning. But that is your prophetic act, getting up in the morning. Some of you are battling mental illness. You're sick of it. You're sick of going to psychiatrists and getting your meds tweaked. What's the point? That's your prophetic act, going to the doctor. Some of you are in a terrible debt. It can be difficult making the necessary changes, like working second jobs, selling stuff, not going out to eat every night. It's just easy to give in. It's just easy to go to dinner. What's the point? But you got to persist. That's your prophetic act, not going out to eat. Even through failure and rejection, you have to persist. I mean, do you know how NASA has reached all these tremendous goals of putting men on the moon and sending probes to Mars? They have persisted through failure. They have learned everything they can along the way. NASA are experts at persisting through and learning from failure. They've turned failure into a productive good thing. Tom Watson, an early founder or an early president of IBM, he said this, if you want to succeed, 
Double your failure rate. Try more, fail more. Or consider Abraham Lincoln. You guys know Abraham Lincoln? Held our country together, how we need him now. Well, a lot of people don't know this about Lincoln, but prior to being president, Lincoln was a failed politician. The fact that Lincoln became president was a historical, it was a lucky accident. Uh, Lincoln failed in business at 21. He was defeated in a legislative race at 22. He failed again in business at 24. He overcame the death of his sweetheart at 26. He had a nervous breakdown at 27. He lost his congressional race at age 34. He ran for the Senate and lost at 45. He failed in his bid for the vice president at 47. Then he won the presidency at 52 to become our most beloved president. Imagine if he had given up. Imagine if he had not persisted. Our nation would be two nations. In fact, he became the greatest president in our history because he faced so many trials along the way. What might you be capable of in life if you keep at it? What great things might you do down the road? What presidencies might you win? What planets might you land upon if you persist long enough to get there? And what might you never accomplish in life if you just give up? Replace your perspective. Persist like the prophets. And lastly, be patient for the parousia. The parousia, right. I know, I said that correctly. It's, I, I'm using, it's a Greek word, and I'm using it because it starts with P. In the English word, it translates Starts with C, which doesn't work for me this morning. <laughs> so let me explain. Uh, in chapter 5, verse 8, James writes this. He says, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. You will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And be patient, stand firm, James writes, because the Lord coming is near. The Greek word for coming is another very, very important word in the Bible. It's the Greek word parousia. It's kind of like parasite, but not parasite, parousia. And, and the word actually occurs dozens and dozens of times in the Bible. It, it literally means coming, arrival, presence. It refers to the imminent arrival of someone in whose presence we will be soon. James reminds his readers that one of the ways they can persevere through their trials is by focusing on the imminent parousia of the Lord, his coming presence. Be patient through your trials because the end is almost here. You won't have to be patient for much longer. You won't have to persist much longer. I know it feels like you're persevering and being patient forever, but you're really not. It really won't last up much longer. In fact, he says, the Lord is already waiting at the door. The judge is standing at the door. He's like right there. The Lord is almost here. He's like right there. We're already kind of in his presence. He's at the door, close enough to hear what we're doing. He can tell if we're getting impatient. He can tell if we're arguing with each other. He can tell that we're grumbling about life. He's standing at the door. And those, those doors are pretty thin. They're like hollow composite wood doors. He can hear through them. In fact, maybe he's waiting for us to get our act together before he walks in. Maybe that's what he's waiting for. Uh, one of the things my kids have a hard time doing is uh, keeping their rooms clean. 
Uh, they're, they're growing up, and they have far more important things to do and keep their rooms clean, right? There are shows to watch. There are friends to chat with. I just don't get it, apparently. But we still need them to clean their rooms. They, they don't like doing it. So when Michelle and I send them to their rooms to clean them up, we can sometimes hear them maybe a little grumbling and, and complaining all the way. And after a while, out of, out of irritation or curiosity, sometimes I'll go up and I'll just stand at the door. Stand at the door. Huh. I can hear they're too old for me to barge in anymore. I can't do that anymore. That's, that's against rules. So I just kind of have to stand there, listen to what's going on. And I can hear. I can hear the <laughs> huffing and puffing. I can hear the grumpiness. Now, the kids never like it when I just kind of stand at the door there. They can, like, tell them. They can sense, sense my presence. Sometimes the, th- the door's ajar. They can actually, like, see me through the door. I'm like, Dad. And they'll walk over, like, <laughs> If it weren't so disobedient and rude and offensive that would actually be kind of funny. (laughs) This is what James is saying, though. The Lord. Stand at the door. He can hear us. He can even see us through the crack. He could come in at any time. He's not as respectful as our personal space as I am. It's his room. He can walk in at any time. But I think he wants to know how we're behaving in the meantime. Are we patiently putting away our socks? Are we getting along with each other, with our brothers, with our sisters, while we're waiting for him to come in? And are we persevering? Are we remaining faithful to Jesus even as life gets difficult? Are we continuing to come to church even when we, you know, we got a lot going on? Are we tithing and giving to the kingdom even though, you know, we got bills to pay, tight month? Are we loving our enemies even when they refuse to love us? You know, how am I supposed to love that person? Are we going back to our AA group after we had a relapse? What's the point? I'm just going to fall off again. Are are we trying to work on our marriage even when all hope seems lost? I want it. He doesn't want it. Are we persevering? We're Christians. That's what Christians do. That's the name of our rover. Christians have been persevering to the end ever since Jesus took that long walk with that big cross up that big hill. Did he give up halfway? Did he say, oh my gosh, this is so not worth it? Do you say halfway works, right, God, halfway? Do you say, what's the point? Are they even going to care? No, Jesus kept taking those steps. He kept walking up that hill because he knew that it was good. He knew that it was important. He knew he couldn't fail where we are going to. You see, Jesus knows that we're going to fail. Jesus knows that we're going to give up. He knows that you and I are going to get stuck in the valley of perseverance. We've done it again and again. He knows we're not going to make it to Mars or heaven or anywhere on our own. That's why he kept going. He kept going because he knew that God would count his perseverance as our own. And that's what's important to know about being a Christian. We are not going to get to Mars on our own. We are not going to get to Mars on our own. No matter how determined we are, we can't jump that high. We can't last, but Jesus can, and Jesus did. He is the one who can take us there. But even though he's the one who can ride us high into the heavens, we still got to get on board. We still got to persist. We still got to persevere through all the challenges of life. In a moment, the band's going to come up and sing a song with us about hope. The song about the hope that we have in Jesus. Just as Jesus came once to die on the cross for our sins, so he is coming again. Like I said, he isn't just coming, he's like standing at the door waiting for the right moment to come in. Maybe that moment is right now. Maybe he's standing at the door of your heart right now. You can let him in. You can let him in right now. You can let him into your life. He can give you the strength you need to persevere through whatever you're up against. 
If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you can do that. Just let us know on your info card. You can come talk to us after the service. Or just tell Jesus that in your seat right now. Tell him you want to be one of his people. Tell him you need his strength to persevere in life and death. Let him in. He can give it to you. We're going to sing that song, after which I'll come back up and we'll pray.